good evening, everybody. Let's all stand. Turn to 525. 525. song amen little as much when god is in it we do what god wants us to do we may not think we're doing a whole lot but if he's in it it's exactly what he wants amen and so praise the lord for that good to see each one of you here tonight glad you chose to be in the lord's house this evening when i ask for the don katanic if you would open us in prayer tonight please Amen. You may be seated tonight. <clears throat> I was able to talk to Pastor. They are back in the United States. And so, praise the Lord, they are back. They were in Philadelphia around, well, our time around 2.30. And um, said that, uh, he said, it's, it's good to be back where people speak English. And I said, wait a minute, you're in Philadelphia. Are you sure they speak English? And he said, trust me, where we've been, yes, they do. So uh, I'm glad to hear that they're back. But uh, they did have a little bit of a bummer. Their flight has been delayed until about 10 o'clock, 1020 tonight is when they're going to be headed back here. So they'll be getting in very late tonight now. But uh, I imagine after the trip, they're ready to be home. Uh, but just pray for them that everything will go well tonight. And pray for Madison because she has to go get them at, you know, 1 in the morning or whenever they're going to be back. So, uh, um, but uh, they'll be here, uh, Lord willing, on Sunday. Everything is going well. So glad they had a good time and are back home safe. Amen. Um, wanted to leave a few uh, announcements with you. Uh, don't forget, a lot of this has to do with the school, just, just things that are coming up over the next couple of weeks. But don't forget, uh, there are ball games this Friday night if you want to come out and, and uh, be a part of that and join in and, and cheer those teams on. It'll be 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock uh, this Friday night. And then uh, one thing I forgot to mention, 
uh, in the last few times I've made announcements is there are ball games next Monday. All right, so they have ball games Friday and then again on Monday. But those Monday games are during the day from 1 to 3 in the afternoon. And then next Tuesday, uh, if you have uh, students in the school, make sure you remember that we're going to have picture day next Tuesday. All right, so the kids need to come all dressed up and ready to go. Um, and we'll get, we're going to have basically, it's going to be almost an all-day event, getting those pictures done uh, next Tuesday. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, men, don't forget, next Friday we leave for the recharge. All right, Baptist Men's Recharge is next Friday. We're going to leave at noon. And then we'll be back somewhere around 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon uh, if you need a plan for someone to pick you up. But uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us at the recharge. Amen. And I'm excited about that. And uh, then we have more ball games coming up on the 29th of February. Again, that's, that, that is going to be backed up an hour because of the, the time. If you notice, it's getting darker a little bit quicker. All right. So uh, we're going to be um, starting at 5 o'clock that evening instead of 6 o'clock on the 29th. So keep that in mind. But uh, even more importantly is that Saturday, the 30th, is our churchwide outreach. All right, so let's plan to be here for outreach on Saturday, 1030 in the morning. And uh, we'll go out and canvas some areas and visit some shut-ins and visitors that have been coming and things like that. So be here uh, and a part of that on Saturday at 1030 in the morning. Also, don't forget our fall revival is coming. It's going to be October the uh, 8th through the 13th, and so we're looking forward to that. Amen. And Brother Dean Herring's going to be here all week. Don't forget, Assurance will be here on that Sunday the 8th, so it's a good way to kick it off. Amen. Just worked out that way, and I love when the Lord puts things together like that. Heartland had no idea we were having our revival. We had no idea they needed a place for Assurance to go, and it just worked together. And so they're going to be here uh, on the 8th in the morning, possibly in the evening as well. Uh, that day, uh, that Sunday, the 8th. And so be here. We need to be in our place every night for fall revival. Amen. Just plan on being here, uh, if at all possible, and don't let uh, things get in the way. 7 o'clock each night, regular services Sunday, but then 7 o'clock each night uh, for the revival. So please uh, make, make time to be here for that. And then continue fasting and praying. Prepare your hearts to be ready for the preaching of God's Word that week. All right. And so this week, again, I hope you've been doing that already. Uh, it was your choice. And so uh, mine was caffeine, bad choice. Um, but I tell you what, I've been doing a lot of praying. <laughs> All, right? All right. It's uh, helped me remember as I've been a little weary this week, uh, different times that I, I need to be praying for the fall revival. So whatever you chose, I hope it's helping you. Uh, and then I know pastor will be telling us, I'm sure what's coming up next week as they'll be here on Sunday. So keep uh, fasting and praying and being prepared for that. Let's go ahead and get our prayer list out if you would, and we'll see if we need to add anything to that tonight. And um, of course, I, I marked some. It seems, seems like some of the same ones we just keep praying for, but that's okay. Um, the ones that have really been just kind of going through it, I uh, certainly think of the Crawford family, um, Brother Randy and Miss Jerry Crawford. Keep them in your prayers as they've really been going through it, as well as Mrs. Moore. Mrs. Hodges, do you know, did she get to go home? She is at home. Okay. Uh, well, back at Good Samaritan, at the nursing home. Yeah, back to her home away from home, but at least not in the hospital. Amen. So I'm um, glad to hear that. I thought that was probably the case. And so, but keep praying for her as uh, she is recovering from uh, the congestive heart failure and pneumonia that she was going through there for uh, a time, and that uh, the Lord will continue to heal her up. Um, good to see the Sextons here tonight again. Glad that you're able to be here and doing well. Um, and uh, good to see Brother Roy McRae here tonight. Glad you're doing well. And I continue to pray for these as uh, they have some health issues that they are continuing to go through. 
um, but good to see each one of them with us tonight. Of course, I've already mentioned, keep praying for our pastor as he's going to be traveling in and that he'll be recovered and ready to go by Sunday, all right? Get over that jet lag and everything that's going to come with it uh, over the next few days, especially the delay tonight is not going to help, I'm sure. Um, also be praying for Brother Jack and Miss Lizzie. I know, where are they at right now, Brother Parker? Still in Tampa, okay. Yes, and I, I remember him telling me that. He said they were going to be there in a couple, well, in a week, about a week and a half, two weeks. And so they'll be down there with Brother Cotton, of course, uh, pastor's father-in-law that was just here and preached and did a great job here just a couple weeks ago. Um, so just keep praying for them as they're traveling around and, and uh, gaining their support and uh, that, the, that they'll be safe on the road and, and all those kinds of things. You know, sometimes we don't think about safety on the roads maybe like we should. Even talking with Brother Copes and the traveling groups that even go out with Heartland and um, just things that have happened on the roads and things like that. That's a lot of driving. And so uh, keep them in your prayers as they are on the roads. Keep our, continue to keep our college students in your prayers um, as well. Um, not just the ones at Heartland, but all of them. We have a lot of them going to college right now and in school and that the Lord will, will help them through all those things. Um, and then um, continue to keep the Ellis family in prayers. They're still uh, searching for a home. I know they would greatly appreciate that. Um, I did add one there. The, uh, is it Cerullo? Is that how you pronounce Is it Cerullo, Brother Clark? Cerullo family that uh, lost their 17-month-old baby. Um, just a tragic thing there that uh, the baby did pass away. So I added that there under the bereavement there at the end. So keep them in your prayers as well. Um, I can't even imagine uh, the heartache that goes along with that. Uh, just, just horrible. Um, so um, good to know, though, that a child that young that doesn't know the Lord is in heaven. Amen. And so that's a, that's a blessing and a comfort to us, but uh, not easy for the family. So do we need to add uh, anything to the prayer list tonight? Yes, Miss Georgie. Yes. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, well. Is bright and shiny. That's I guess that's a silver lining, right? Okay. So, all right. So uh, Martha Palmer, uh, keep her on your prayer list. Um, fell and broke her hip, so we will add that on there. All right. Anyone else tonight? Miss Sue. Yes. definitely. Um, chemotherapy is hard for an adult, much less a three-year-old. And so uh, definitely uh, continue to keep Maddie Owens uh, in our prayers there. And um, as she is going through all these treatments that she's having there, she's on the, on the uh, right side there, not even quite halfway down on that first page. So anyone else? Yes, Mrs. Griffin. Goodness. Okay.
Sure. Okay, we sure will. We sure will. All right. Anyone else tonight? Okay, let's go ahead and have our men come if they would. And uh, we'll take these things to the Lord in prayer tonight. And praying for a good service on Sunday. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to have our pastor back home um, and uh, back in the pulpit. I know he, uh, he said today in his text message, he said, he said, I'm excited. Well, I guess it was the other day. He said, I'm ready to come home, eat an American cheeseburger, and preach. And uh, I might not have necessarily been in that order. I might have said preach, then eat the cheese. I don't know. But either way, uh, he's excited for both. And so I'm excited to have him back home. I'm going to ask um, Brother Kennedy if you would pray for these things tonight in our offering as well. for no reason so but it was good let's all stand they had it on sale last week so i bought it and i had to eat it before next week so turn to 530 530 I have found the place. 
turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Amen. Well, if it is sweets, that is fine with me, but I'm going to go ahead and stock up as well this weekend and to get that taken care of. Um, if I missed that, I'm sorry. I don't, did, did he announce that as sweets? Does anybody know for sure? It's usually the, the I just wasn't going to try and assume. People that assume take things for granted, so I didn't want to assume that. But um, you can't assume tonight that we'll be in Psalm 7 because that's where we're at. All right, Psalm 7. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you weren't here, we'll do just a brief review of about 15 pages or so, and then we'll get into tonight's message. And I'm teasing. And, I mean, there is about 15 pages of notes, but we'll, that's about normal for me, so it shouldn't be any longer uh, than normal, I hope. Uh, we'll, go, we'll get through it here, but uh, I hope it'll be a help and a blessing to you tonight. Let's go ahead and read uh, Psalm 7. We're going to read the entire chapter tonight, and because uh, we're going to finish the entire chapter tonight. Amen? So... Let's begin Psalm 7 in verse number 1. O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Now if we would just stop right there and everyone could just remember to do that all the time, we would save ourselves a whole lot of headache. But um, good reminder, O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, If there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that was without cause, uh, that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor to the dust. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judge for me to the judgment that thou hast Commanded, So shall the congregation of the people uh, compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight as we begin. Father, again, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Thank you for the example that we've been given here uh, from David. I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd help me as I convey Uh, your word. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would just uh, put me aside tonight. Lord, speak through me. Use me. I pray that the the message tonight would be a help and encouragement to us, Lord. I know it's convicting as well, um, Lord, so I pray that it would. It would convict, Lord, that that we would, if we need to get some things right with you tonight, that we would um, take care of that before we leave this evening. Lord, just work in our hearts now as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated tonight. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. It was interesting, um, 
I think I might have mentioned that I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the Psalms right now um, between school and church with, with, the, uh, with the students this year, the, the, the passages of Scripture they're going through in Psalm 119. And uh, then in, in chapel, of course, pastor's gone for chapel, so I'm, I'm preaching out of Psalm 23 to them, and then I'm in Psalm 7 tonight. But it was interesting this morning, Psalm 119, verse number 23, is pretty interesting in the fact that it talks about the David here, of course, writing Psalm 119, and he says, the prince, the princes have spoken against me, basically is what he's saying, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, but I have found comfort in thy statutes. And I couldn't help but think of Psalm 7, because I don't know that Cush was a prince. We don't know. doesn't say. doesn't say he was or was not. We do know that he was speaking against David. And so as I was reading that, I was thinking to myself, well, it's exactly kind of what he's talking about right here in Psalm 7, that people have spoken against him, but he finds comfort in the Lord. And so I thought that was pretty interesting that the Lord would kind of join those two things together, even as we begin to look at Psalm 7 again tonight. But as we begin looking again, as we did last week, we began by considering the background. We began by considering the genre of the psalm. We determined once again that Psalm 7 is a lament psalm, all right? So David is, again, he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. He's, he's got his grief. He has his complaint. Um, we took note last week that the lament psalm this time wasn't about the sin he had committed that he, was, that he was grieving and crying over, as it was in Psalm chapter 6, but that it was once again about his enemies. His enemies were the problem. They were the ones giving him grief. And, um, but as I mentioned uh, several times, th- there's a big key in these lament psalms, and that is that in every situation, David turns to God for the answer, doesn't he? He always ends up turning to God for the answer in his, in his time of hurt, in his time of trial, He turns to the one that he knows is his strength. He turns to the one that he knows can truly help him, and that is his God. And let let me remind you again tonight, that's what you and I need to also be doing. When we find ourselves in a trial, in a struggle, in a grief, in a heartache, we need to turn to God. And I believe strongly that this is just one reason, Maybe it's a major one, but one reason why God himself could call David a man after his own heart. Because David, his heart was in tune with God's and he turned to God when he needed help. Now, unlike you and I, we see David that no matter how much much sorrow or heartache he's going through, he's looking to God for the answers. And I say unlike you and I because so many times that's not our first response. Our first response instead is to Look to the world, look to the world's philosophies, look to our friends, look to our neighbors uh, for our help. But that's not what David does. No, in every situation that he found himself in, he turned to the Lord. And this is exactly what we saw again last week. David was hurting. He was hurting because there's a man named Cush. Cush. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was apparently not a very nice man because he was making accusations against David. Now, besides the mention of Cush here in our text, there's not another single mention of him in Scripture anywhere unless he might have been known by a different name. Now, that's a possibility. Last week, we looked at a few possibilities. I mean, some think that he could have been Shimei. Uh, remember, that's the man that was in 2 Samuel that he came out, he cursed at David, he threw rocks at David. Uh, some, some say that 
It could have been uh, Kish. That would be Saul's father. And maybe he had this, you know, he's going by a different name instead of Cush, Kish. They could have been one and the same. We don't know that either. There's nothing that, that specifically says. But most people believe that he was actually just another Benjamite. Somebody else, another man from the tribe of Benjamin that had it out for King David. Now, there was a lot of people from Benjamin that didn't really like David. All right, they, they, their tribe didn't care for him. Um, that's, that's where Saul, their, their king, was from. They wanted him still to be their king, and they didn't like David at all. So they, they, didn't, they, they wanted to say things against him. And this, this Cush that's mentioned here, he was apparently another one of those men. He was angry. He didn't like David. So he was going to spread false accusations against King David. Now, we don't exactly know what's being said. We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, David was very hurt by it, and David believed it to be lies. All right, we, we, we came to that conclusion last week. To be honest, exactly who this Cush guy, though, really doesn't affect the text. It doesn't affect the outcome of the story. It doesn't change uh, what's happening. What does affect the story is what we know that Cush did and the response that David had to it. Okay? That does affect the story because that's what we can learn from this passage. And David gives us a great example to follow here in Psalm 7. So we know that Cush was spreading lies. We would say that he's slandering David. He's spreading falsehood. He was trying to, to ruin, if you will, David's testimony. All right? Um... We looked last week at James chapter number 3. I just want to remind you of a few things here concerning the tongue. Because James 3 says that the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. It's a very world of iniquity, it calls it. With, With the tongue, James says, men simultaneously bless God, and then they simultaneously, at the same time, they curse those that are made in the image of God. They do both. The tongue, in other words, is out of control. It is an unruly member. He asked, who can tame it? I mean, even ships are controlled by a little helm, right? Even horses can be tamed by the bit that you put in their mouth. When the bit touches the horse's tongue, it speaks of submission, immediate submission. There's a whole other message there and all of that. But the tongue is what James is teaching about, and the tongue is what is the problem with Cush in Psalms chapter 7. His tongue is out of control. He's saying things that are false, that are wrong, that are hurting David. And David is saying that they're not true. It's no surprise that the psalmist here is experiencing exactly what David said in Psalm 7. Or I'm sorry, yeah, in Psalms number 7, David's being slandered. He needs the Lord's help. He needs the Lord to vindicate him because he believes that he's innocent of whatever the charges are that Cush is bringing against him. He believes himself to be innocent. And this man's words are hurtful. So let me ask you a question again tonight. Have you ever been hurt by the words of somebody? Have you ever thought they spoke something false against you? Or on the flip side of that, maybe you're the one that was doing the hurting. Maybe you're the one that was doing the slandering. Either way, words can hurt very deeply, can't they? Words hurt deeply. That old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is one of the biggest lies ever made. Because words do hurt. And we need to be careful what we say. 
This kind of behavior, the backbiting, gossip, lies, slander, it shouldn't be done at all, but especially shouldn't be done by God's people. And we need to be careful as God's people how our testimony is in front of others and how we treat one another. As a Christian, we need to remember that the world might act this way, but we're to be different. We're to be separated from the world. Our character should be different, especially if we want Faith Baptist Church to grow and be united together. This kind of behavior should not be among God's people. I said it last week. Pastors said it many times. Churches today, most of them are crumbling and falling apart and being torn apart from the inside out. It's not what the world's doing to them or saying about them. It's what they're doing to themselves. And most of that type of be, most of that is because of this type of behavior that's right here in Psalm chapter 7. How we treat one another, how we talk about one another, what we say to one another. Faith Baptist Church cannot be a part of this kind of behavior. We need to be different. So this brings us again to the title that I gave last week's message, except last week was part one. Only difference. So this week, how do we deal with slander, part two? All right? So Salmon, you can write that down. It's part two. All right? Part number two. How do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? When, 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 the, when accusations are thrown at us, how do we respond? How do we deal with them? That's the same question that David was wrestling with here in Psalm 7. Things were being said against him. How was he going to handle this situation? Well, one of two ways. Either one, we're going to react in our flesh, aren't we? We're, and, and, and our flesh takes over very quickly if we're not careful. All right? So we're going to either we're going to react in our flesh and we're going to lash out and respond in, in, in that way. Or we're going to take the route that David took and we're going to look to God to help us with the problem in the situation. So last week we looked at two important things from the first just five verses. Number one, in verse one and two, we saw that David put his trust in the Lord, didn't he? He put his trust in the Lord. Look at verses one and two. O Lord, my God, and thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me. Who is all them that are persecuting him? Well, number one, it's Cush. That's who he's talking about. Now, there could have been more with him. He uses the word them, not just Cush. So Cush might have had a little following. It's amazing how that kind of happens. Birds of a feather flock together, don't they? And people of persuasions like this, they will attract one another. Well, let's go do it all together. All right. So there could have been more than one. More possibly there, more than probably there was. All right. But it only mentions Cush for sure. He was at least the leader. It looks like. But he says, "Save them from, uh, save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me." He's asking God to do this, lest He tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. David does what he knows is the only answer to his problem. He runs to God. He puts it into the Lord's hands. This is a great reminder for us tonight. You see, if we're going to be honest tonight, we'll admit that our tendency is to take matters into our own hands. Oh, I can handle this. I can get out of it. I can do it myself. I can figure it out on my own. Whether we say it out loud or not, that's our actions toward it. All right? And, and we have to be careful not to do this. Because many times, if you're like me, I just make it worse. <laughs> I think I can figure it out. And, and when I'm done, it's just a big mess. A bigger mess than it was even when I started. So... Maybe we run to someone, we tell them what was said because we want to get them on our side. Um, That shouldn't be our response either, okay? David doesn't do this. Instead, he gives us a great example. 
And that example that we need to follow is that he doesn't take matters into his own hands. Instead, he takes it to the Lord. He says, Lord, in you do I put my trust. Not in myself, not in the other rulers, not in the princes, not in, not in, in the world's philosophies, not, not in me, but in you do I put my trust. We need to be like David. We learned this last week. We need to turn to God to be our deliverer and let him handle those that have wronged us. Number two, we saw in verses three through five that David did some self-examination. He did some self-examining. Now, how many of us can look back on when someone was accusing us, maybe they said some bad words about us, maybe we thought they were slandering us, they were telling falsehoods about us, but we actually stopped for a minute and examined ourselves. Am I actually guilty of what I'm being accused of? Usually we don't do things like that. Usually our response is, how dare they? And we get angry and we lash out. But when all re- in, in all reality, we actually might be guilty because none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes, all right? So most of the time, we're more quick to defend ourselves, though, instead of admitting that we could possibly be wrong because our pride takes over. I am perfect. Now, we might not say that, but we have a tendency to think we can't be in the wrong when in all reality, we might actually be in the wrong. So David gives us another example. He asks God to examine him. David stops and asks the question, am I guilty of what I'm being accused of? And he doesn't ask his friends this question. Your friends will side with you. Oh no, you're not. I can't believe they said that about you. Are you kidding me? Well, come on. That's what our friends have a tendency to do. Our family, our husbands, our wives, our co-workers. But if you take it to God, He knows the real you. He knows the real me. God is the righteous judge. And David knew that he would judge him for what and who he really was. After all, God knows the thoughts and intents of our heart, doesn't he? He knows what we're really about. So David didn't think that he was guilty. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand here. He didn't think he was guilty of what this Cush guy was accusing him of. He didn't think he was guilty. And it was upsetting him. But at the same time, he didn't think so highly of himself that he thought himself to be completely innocent either. He didn't say, well, I am so much better than you, I cannot possibly be guilty of anything. That isn't what he said either. He brought it before the Lord for some self-examination. Look at verse number 3. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. That's what he tells the Lord. Now let me ask you a question tonight. Are we living in such a way? Are we living in such a way that we can be like David here and be an open book before God? He already knows anyway. He already knows how we are. You can't hide anything from him. But do people have reason to accuse you and I? Have we given them reason to do this? Would you be found guilty of what someone's accusing you of? It might be tonight that we just need to do some self-examining. Some self-examination. And the next time we feel as though someone's slandering our name or wrongfully accusing us of something, maybe before we get upset, before we lash back out at them, we just need to remember David's example. We need to go to the Lord. We need to genuinely ask Him who knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows all that is about us. 
and ask him if we're truly guilty of what's being said. That would be the right thing to do first. And on the flip side of that, if we're the one that's guilty of saying things, we also need to go before the Lord and get it taken care of. Because we don't need to be the one that's slandering either. We don't need to be the one that's gossiping either. Either way, some self-examination needs to take place. Some self-examination. And this brings us to point number three. We've already gone through six pages of notes. I know, see, we're on a roll. See, you thought we were going to be here long. This brings us to point number three. And that's where we're going to pick up again tonight. David next, he speaks of the wrath of God. Look at verse number six. Verse number six. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. And awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about for their sakes. Therefore, return thou on high. Now we see, we're going we're to basically go from verse 6 all the way down through 16. Then we're going to pause for a second and get into some, some finishing things here. But we see here that because of the falsehood that the enemy is spreading about David, he asks the Lord in verse number 6 to arise, to lift himself up. And he uses the word to awake. To awake. Now, we know that God doesn't sleep or slumber. We understand this tonight, okay? He does not sleep or slumber. But let me tell you something. When somebody's hurting you and the hurt isn't going away and you're not finding an answer to something, you might think God is asleep. God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Why am I not getting relief from this hurt? Why am I not getting heartache from this hurt? And so David here, he's simply saying, Lord, Wake up. Why aren't you here to defend me? Why aren't you helping me? It seems as though he's asleep. One commentator put it this way. I think it's so kindly condescending of God. And I love this. I think it's so kindly condescending of God to allow for a mere man to beg him to wake up. Okay. David is a mere man. We don't think of him as anything more. Yes, He's a man that's mentioned in the Bible, but he's flesh and blood just like you and I. He, he, has, he has the same tendencies that you and I have. And here, David is asking God, please wake up and help me. But he knows God doesn't really sleep. Okay? And God doesn't get angry with him. In fact, God leaves that in his word. He let it stay there. Okay? So he doesn't get angry with him. But God could have taken that line out of Psalm 7, couldn't he? But he didn't. He allows the psalmist to express his feelings. And David feels as if God's inactivity here, it's making him seem like he's asleep. Unfortunately, of course, the psalmist understands that God really isn't asleep. He isn't asleep. Because in Psalm 7, verse 7 through 13, we have David's statement of confidence in the Lord. All the way through verse number 13. So let's read that together. Begin in verse number 8. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. But establish the just, for the righteousness of God trieth, I'm sorry, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. 
God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. David in these verses tells us exactly what exactly he is meaning by asking the Lord to wake up and go to judgment. But wouldn't that be a horrible thing for us to ask the Lord to take out wrath on somebody that didn't deserve it? Wouldn't that be a horrible thing if they were actually telling the truth about us and we ask God to handle them when it's really us that needs the handling? That's why, again, I say self-examination needs to come first. And once David had done this, then David could ask these things in verse 8 through 13. David knew before the Lord that he'd not done whatever it was that he was being accused of. So he asks the Lord, who is the righteous judge, to handle it how he sees fit, but he does ask for judgment. He does ask for judgment. So here's what Psalm 7, 7, I believe, is saying. David's picturing here a gathering of people. They're surrounding God's judgment throne. God's pictured as a king, isn't he? He's high and lofty. He's, he's lifted up. His subjects both those that are, that are loyal and those who are traitors are waiting for him to return and judge them. All right, look at verse number seven again. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. And the Lord will judge according to verse number eight. The Lord shall judge the people. There's no question about it. He is the ultimate judge, isn't he? And he will judge the people. There's no question about it. It's going to happen. And you know what? The, to the innocent, to the righteous man, God's judgment isn't a fearful thing. To the innocent man, to the one that's righteous. It's not a fearful thing because when God judges and he sets everything straight, it's going to come out that the innocent was in the right and the innocent will be vindicated. Okay. But God is a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. And just as those who are living holy lives before the Lord have nothing to fear, those who are not living right, those who are not living holy, they're living in sin, they're making false accusations such as is here in Psalm chapter number 7, they should fear the wrath of God. They should fear the judgment of God. Our God is a God who loves justice and He will not let sin go unpunished. He won't do it. He can't do it. He's going to deal with those that lie. He's going to deal with those that slander. He's going to deal with those that backbite and gossip and have false accusations against the righteous. He's going to deal with those. He cannot let the sin go unpunished. So David asks the Lord to judge him. He asks him to judge him. Now, these statements that David makes in verse number eight, if you read them like I read them, they almost seem a little arrogant to me when I read them. They, they, they sound a little self-righteous. Look at verse number 8 again. The Lord shall judge the people. Then he says, judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. So David asks the Lord to judge him. Now these statements, they seem arrogant. But what is David saying? Is he claiming to be sinless? No. He's not claiming to be sinless. 
He is, he, is, is he unaware that we're all sinners? I don't believe that to be true either. Is he unaware of what his son Solomon would go on to say in the book of Ecclesiastes? That there's not a just man on the earth that never sins? No. If this were the case, David would be denying his own statement in Psalm 51, verse number 5. Turn there with me if you would. Psalm 51, in verse number 5. Psalm 51.5 says this. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So if he's saying here that he's sinless, he's denying his own statement in Psalm 51. So we know that's not what he's saying. He's not claiming here to be sinless. He's not being unrealistic. In the context, he's saying this. Lord, I'm fine with you judging me. I'm fine with you judging me, Lord, because I know that the slander... These falsehoods that are being spread about, about me, it's not right. It's not right. In, in relation to things of which I'm being accused, I'm innocent. In relation to the things of which I'm being accused, he's saying I'm innocent. I, I'm righteous in these. I, I'm a man of integrity of what's being said about me. It's not true. And he knew it not to be true. I wonder if we could say that tonight. I had to ask myself this question. Could I say that tonight? Am I a person of integrity? Am I a person that that if I went before the Lord and asked Him to judge me, He wouldn't find much, if anything, because I'm trying to live right. Now, I know we're not perfect. Again, we're not perfect. We understand that. We're not sinless. But would we be accused tonight of what people are accusing us? Or would we be guilty of what people are accusing us of tonight if they were to accuse us of things? So I think there's two things that we can learn from David in these verses so far. Number one, if we're the ones slandering others, we should be in fear of the Lord's judgment on us. If we're the one doing the slandering, we need to be in fear of God's judgment upon us because he cannot let it go unpunished, and he won't. As his children, he's obligated to punish us. Think about that for a minute. As a parent, if you're a good parent, you're going to punish your child when they do something wrong. Our God, who is so much greater, he cannot overlook sin. And so if we're the one that's doing the slandering, he's obligated, if we're his children, to punish us for it. And rightfully so. Amen? We should be punished. In his perfection, he cannot overlook our sin. Number two... I think this should be an encouragement to us today as Christians living in this country. And I'll explain why. Because Christians today, we're coming under attack. We're coming under attack. We're coming under attack more and more for living right, for holding to the Word of God, for doing the right things, for trying to live a holy life. I know we're not perfect, but I I think about even good Christian men and women who have been in politics, who've had their names drugged through the mud when they've done nothing wrong, but the world just doesn't like the fact that they serve God. Good pastors of good churches that wicked church members have run off by saying things about them and accusing them of things that are just not true. Lies, false accusations, 
Our world today, we, we know this, it's waxing worse and worse. And you can believe tonight it's going to get worse before it gets better. But it doesn't matter how corrupt our country gets. Because if you and I will live our lives for the honor and glory of the Lord, people may lie about us. They may accuse us of things that are not true at all. But God, the righteous judge, sees this, doesn't he? He sees this and he knows. And he, in his time, justice will be served. But we just have to place it into his hands and not take it into our own. He's not going to let things go unpunished. And that was David's hope here. And this is still our hope today. God is and will always be our refuge and our strength. I'm going to say that again because I think, I don't, I don't beg for amens, but that, that was one. God is and will always be our refuge and strength. And I think we need to remember and acknowledge that tonight and live that way. We need to live that way. Look again at verse 9 and 10 of our text. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense, David says, is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. Now, here in verse number 9, we see here in verse number 9 that God's judgment doesn't end so well for the wicked, does it? It doesn't end so well for the wicked. When God judges them, their wicked ways that they love so much, they're going to come to an abrupt ending. It's going to be ended. But again, Psalm 7, verse 9, at the same time, the just, the righteous, the innocent, the innocent will be established, it says. The righteous God tries the hearts and reigns. Turn to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah with me. Chapter number 17. Jeremiah the prophet understood this. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. I try the reins. Even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Turn to Matthew chapter number 15. Matthew in chapter number 15. And we're going to look at just two verses there tonight. Matthew 15, verse 18 and 19. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts. What's the next one? False witness. Aren't we talking about slandering tonight? That would be a false witness. False witness, blasphemies. So, from these verses, it's just like what we saw last week. God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart, doesn't he? He knows those things. Um, Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 7. First Samuel chapter 16, verse number 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. 
God alone, nobody else, God alone knows people's internal thoughts and our motives behind what we do. He understands that. He knows that. And if you are righteous and, and your thoughts and motives are right, he's, he's going to notice that. But if you're not and your thoughts and motives aren't right, he's not going to let that go unnoticed either. He knows our thoughts and the intents of our heart. And you'll find God to be just like David experienced in Psalm 710. If you're trying to do everything right and live right for him, he's your defense. He is your defense. He is the judge. He is the one that will settle all the accounts. You and I don't have to take things into our own hands. He is our defense, your savior who delivers you from the wicked, who delivers you from the evil, who delivers you from all that's being said or done to you. He will handle it. David again affirms this in verse number 11, that God will judge the righteous. Back in our text in Psalm chapter 7, in verse number 11, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. He'll render his verdict of innocent and vindicate them. But on the other hand, God is angry every day with the wicked men. Every day. The idea here is that he doesn't forget the wickedness of those who persecute his people. He doesn't forget that, okay? God is not a judge just one day of the week. He's not a judge just one day of the week. He's constantly, constantly watchful. Constantly watchful over the wicked to make sure that judgment is handed out to them. That's what he does. Look at verse 12 and 13. Verse number 12. If he turn not, again speaking of God, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Now the picture that David gives here is of how the Lord is ready to judge. How he's sitting, waiting, ready to be the judge. He's ready to judge those that have done wrong to those that have done right. And honestly, it's pretty scary to think about. Because you come away wondering how the wicked can still disobey the Lord and ignore his threats. I mean, how, how are they going to disobey God and ignore what God can actually do, but they still do? And David says that unless the wicked repent, in this case, those who have been slandering his name, those who have been spreading the false accusations against him, and, and until they repent and turn from their wickedness and turn back to God, David says that the Lord will wet his sword. This doesn't mean... That he's going to pour a cup of water out on his sword or go throw it in the lake. Okay? That's, that's not what it's talking about here. In fact, um, wetting a sword is what the swordman does with the sword when he's sharpening it. He's sharpening it. In other words, the picture is you have the Lord. He's ready to judge the wicked that are doing things wrong to those righteous that he loves. And he's wetting his sword. He's sharpening it. He's preparing to make judgment. But it doesn't sound like a very fun judgment to me when a sword is involved. But it doesn't stop with a sword. Why would an executor of vengeance just sharpen a sword? Well, it's not to make it to be pretty. <laughs> it's not, it's not to, to be a showpiece or a display piece or to put it up above the mantle so everyone can look and go, wow, what a sharp sword you have. No, the swordsman's going to sharpen his sword because he's getting ready to go into battle. He's getting ready to fight with it. He's getting ready to use it. He's going to execute serious judgment 
with the sword. And that's the picture we have here. That the Lord is going to execute serious judgment on those wicked who won't repent, who won't get right. But not only does he have a sword, but he also has a bow. He has a bow too, and he bends it. This can be speaking of possibly taking the the unstrung bow and, and bending it so that the bow could be strung, or it could be talking about the Lord taking an arrow and, and, and it's already strung and he's getting ready to shoot it by putting the arrow in the string and ready to fire. I'm very aware of this technique. I've not done a whole lot of archery, but growing up, you might find this interesting. My mom actually loved archery. All right, she's like, oh, we learned something new. Yeah, don't get around her, she'll shoot you. Okay, no. But she loved archery. She learned that from my grandpa. My grandpa was an archer. He loved archery. Um, I, he actually gave me a recurve bow. I still have it. Um, the recurve bow is pretty nice, made out of hickory. It's a really nice uh, recurve bow, probably very expensive. When One time we were in California visiting on vacation, he gave me this bow. But the bow is unstrung. It was unstrung. He said, you don't want to travel with it strung. Because if it comes undone, it's going to hurt you. You know Why? Because when the archer strings that bow, it's called a recurve bow for a reason. If you're not familiar with archery, it actually curves this way. To string the bow, you have to bend the curves the opposite direction. To the point where it almost would seem that the bow is going to snap in half. It's actually a very scary thing if you've never done it before. You want to make sure and do it with somebody that knows what they're doing. So don't come ask me because I really don't. I've only done it with my grandpa, okay? But I know it's a very, very tight, tight string. When you bend that bow back, there's a lot of tension And that tension is there for a reason. It's not just to scare the one who's bending it back or to see how much of a man they are by being able to bend it because it takes a lot of strength to do that as well. But it's bent backward that way so it has a lot of force behind it when the arrow shoots to inflict maximum damage on whatever it is you're shooting at. So this is the overall picture. We have the Lord... He's judged everyone. He's declared his verdict. The innocent are vindicated. The wicked are sentenced to death unless they repent. And the unrepentant are then faced with a God who sharpened his sword. He strung his bow. He's ready to go into battle. And David's painted us a pretty serious situation here. But when you read verse 13... It gets even worse. You thought I was going to say it gets better. It doesn't get better yet. It gets worse. When you consider that, he says, he's also prepared the instruments of death. This gives me the impression that God has a lot more weapons than just the two that are mentioned. Now, I don't know what those may be, but he's prepared those and they're at his disposal just as much as the sword and the bow are at his disposal. The arrows mentioned in verse 13, it says, He ordaineth against the persecutors. The the word ordaineth there is only used this one place in all of Scripture, right here. Now, you'll find the words ordained or ordain, but that word ordaineth is only used one time, and it means to be made for. To be made for. He specifically made these weapons for the persecutors. Those that are persecuting the righteous. 
Now, it doesn't mention the other weapons being made for the persecutors, but we know for sure the arrows are made for those who are persecuting the righteous, those trying to do the right thing and serving the Lord, but are being wrongfully slandered, wrongfully accused by others. The Lord's arrows, David says, are made specifically for them. Hmm. The idea of David being persecuted, we see it all through Psalm chapter 7. And we see it in plain view again, plain view again here and that that the Lord, the righteous judge, will take care of his persecutors. Those that are persecuting him, God is going to handle them. And David is sure of this. Now look with me, if you would, at verses 14 through 17. Verse 14 through 17. I'm not going to read it yet, but we're going to look at those. And, and we'll give some application, and we're going to wrap up chapter 7. Okay? With everything that's been said in this chapter so far, you might have noticed that the actual lament hasn't even happened yet. The actual crying out hasn't even happened yet. I said at the beginning that the lament in this chapter is over David's enemies, and now we're going to see this beginning in verse number 14. So look at verse number 14. It says this, Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. Here's where he's talking about his enemy again. He's saying, Lord, he's done all these things to me. He's brought mischief. He's brought, he's brought falsehood. He travaileth with iniquity. Hmm. It's an interesting metaphor in verse number 14. The psalmist pictures the slanderer in terms of being pregnant with child. Think about that. That word travaileth, there it's referring to as a woman would travail in labor. Okay? So in other words, the wicked one or ones, these ones that are persecuting David, Cush the Benjamite, whoever might have been with him, they're pictured as being pregnant or filled with mischief. They're filled with it. They're full of it. Or you might say they're laboring with sin and giving birth to falsehood. It makes sense when you think about it like that. So what is that falsehood? Well, it's that slander that they were heaping on David. That's the, that's the one picture of the sins of these people. Okay? The other picture we have of these men who are making David lament is in verses 15 and 16. Verse number 15 says, He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. The other picture we have here is that they might dig a pit for people like David to fall into. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to trip him up and cause him to fail. But ultimately, they're the ones that are going to fall into the pit. It's going to come upon them. And they might conceive mischief and violence against innocent men like David, but that mischief and violence, it's going to return unto themselves. Why? Because God, the righteous judge, the one who can deliver, the one who can vindicate them, will cause whatever device or devices that they come up with, he's going to cause it to backfire on them. That's what David is saying here. David realizes in this passage that these wicked men who are slandering his name, they're trying to ruin his testimony, They've not gone unnoticed by God, who is the righteous judge. They've not gone unnoticed. He is the God. He is the one who will set things right. He is the one who can truly vindicate him. And ultimately, he will deliver him from his enemies and what they're saying. Now, once David comes to this realization, he gets it all out. Once he comes to this realization... Look what it causes him to do in verse number 17. I will praise the Lord 
according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Once David realizes that God is going to take care of it all, he comes to that that point. He says, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and I'm going to sing praise to Him who who is the Most High God. So how do you and I deal with slander? How do we deal with people that are doing what these people are doing to David? Specifically this one man. Well, number one, we do what David did. And we trust the Lord with it. We trust the Lord with it. Number two, we need to examine ourselves. Because we're not innocent. And I would venture to say, at least in my own life, probably a lot of the time I am guilty of some, if not all, of what was being said. Self-examination. Make sure that we have things right with the Lord. Number three, look to God to be the judge. Because He is the only one that can really set things right and in order. And He's not going to let sin go unpunished. He's not going to let those that have actually wronged us, if they have, get away with it. But understand, too, He's not going to let you and I get away with it either. And David knew that. He knew that. And then we too can do what David did when it's all said and done. We can praise the Lord for working out everything. We can have our joy back, our strength back, our happiness back. We can do what David did and praise the Lord for His righteousness as we meditate on this fact that God will vindicate the innocent. God does that for you and for me every single time. Let's bow our heads together tonight. I don't know 